The Old Testament reading today is Genesis 2, 24 through 25. This text is going to be very, very familiar to us um, once we finish up this little series within a series on marriage, um, because we have read it many times now and we will read it many more times. Uh, remember, we are in a sermon series through the book of Genesis, but we are, we are stalled out here for a period of time, uh, giving attention to the topic of marriage, as marriage is mentioned here for the first time in Holy Scripture uh, the New Testament reading for today is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And in fact, most of our attention will be upon this New Testament text. First now, the reading of God's word from the Old Testament, Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now let us go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22. There the Apostle Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So far, the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless the preaching of it today. In the previous sermon, we began to address the question, how can we have a successful and God-honoring marriage? And if you remember, three answers were given. One, a husband and wife must learn to love one another in Christ Jesus. Two, a husband and wife must learn to extend mercy and grace to one another in Christ Jesus. And three, a husband and wife must be long-suffering these three answers were directed towards both the husband and wife. A marriage will be healthy if both husband and wife decide to love one another, extend grace to one another, and are long-suffering. Uh, in this sermon, we are again asking the question, how can we have a successful and God-honoring marriage? But the focus will be upon the particular role that husbands play in the marriage relationship according to the Scriptures. And so, yes, there are general principles that must be applied by both husband and wife. Both are to love, extend grace, be long-suffering. But the scriptures are also clear that husbands have a particular role to play within the marriage relationship. How should we go about building successful and God-honoring marriages? Well, the first thing that needs to be said is that husbands must love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, next week, we will turn our attention to the wives and we will say wives must submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. But today our focus is upon the, the husbands. Uh, the scriptures are clear that husbands are to take the lead within the marriage relationship. 
A husband is to view himself as responsible for the well-being of his wife and family, for this is how God views the husband and the marriage relationship. The husband is to do everything in his power to care for his wife and children physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Notice the words in his power are very important here, for there are some things that are simply beyond our control, men. But the husband is to do everything in his power to care for his wife and children physically, emotionally, spiritually. This principle is very clearly communicated in Ephesians 5.23, which we have just read, which says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Uh, Paul says something very uh, similar in 1 Corinthians 13.3, where he writes, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, The idea clearly being communicated in this text is that a husband has authority within the marriage and within the home. It is not absolute authority, is it? God and Christ have authority over the husband, but the husband does have authority within the home. Put a little bit differently, husbands have a responsibility to lovingly lead their wives and their families in all things. Now, before we progress any further, I think it needs to be said uh, that this order of things, uh, the headship that a husband has within the marriage relationship, this order of things is rooted not in culture but in in creation. This, This order of things that we have presented for us so clearly in the pages of the New Testament is rooted not in culture but in creation. In other words, this statement for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, is based not upon the cultural norms of Paul's day, but upon God's design for the marriage relationship, which was established at the time of creation. There are many within the church today who would claim that the words of the Apostle Paul concerning male headship in the home do not apply to us today. Perhaps you have encountered this opinion. And how do these so-called Bible-believing Christians defend their position? Well, they claim that Paul's words in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 11, for example, simply reflect the predominant view of the culture in which Paul lived. According to their view, this order involving male headship is not to be taken as a timeless and unchanging truth, but in fact has changed with the evolution of culture. And this is a hallmark of liberal and progressive theology It is the expectation that religion will, and more than that, ought to evolve over time. Truth ought to change. Uh, For, after all, we are forever progressing. We are ever growing better and better. In their view, our culture has progressed beyond the chauvinistic and misogynistic culture of Paul's day, and is therefore to be preferred. I think two things need to be said in response to this view, which is very predominant in our day. First of all, the scriptures do not in any way promote chauvinism or misogyny, but insist that men and women do stand before God on equal footing. Both males and females are made in God's image. They are equal in worth. The same apostle who said, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, also said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 28. 
The same apostle wrote the same text, both of these texts. So, viewed from the standpoint of our worth and our position before God in Christ, there is no distinction between men and women. If we had the time, it would not be difficult to demonstrate that Jesus himself had a view of women that was radically different from the one that was predominant within his culture. He honored women. And much could also be said about the prominent role that women played within the early church and the respect that was shown to them. It is just simply an ignorant thing to claim that the Scriptures, Old Testament or New, promote chauvinism or misogyny. They simply do not. But secondly, the words of the Apostle concerning male headship are rooted not in culture, cultural norms, but in, but in the order established by God at creation. Are there some things described in the Bible that are cultural? We would have to admit that there are. Are there some instances where upon studying a particular passage of Scripture, it is right for us to say, well, that was how they did things then, but we do things differently now, and it's okay. Yes, I think there are instances of that in the pages of Holy Scripture. Of course there are. But the point that I am here making is that we must prove that a thing was merely cultural, or that it was unique to the Old Covenant and is not for the New, before we disregard it, before we dispose of it. Some, I am afraid, disregard the clear teaching of Scripture by using the excuse, that was for then, but times are different now. And what do they do this with, except those things that make them most uncomfortable, the things they don't like. And what they end up doing is that they throw these truths that are in fact timeless and unchanging into the trash can when they should not. Uh, the results are, are devastating, I'm afraid. When Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, he is not saying, this is how we do things in our culture. Instead, he is saying, this should be true of every marriage, particularly Christian marriages, in every time and place, because this is how God designed marriage to be. The marriage relationship, remember, from previous sermons, was designed by God to to function as a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. The husband is to be to the wife what Christ is to the church, and the wife is to be to the husband what the church is to Christ. This is so by design. This is not a cultural phenomenon then, but it is God's design for marriage established at the time of creation. I think it is helpful to notice that in 1 Timothy 2, Paul addresses another subject, but it is a related one. He addresses the role that men and women are to take within the church. And what we find is that the role of men and women within the church mirrors the role of husband and wife within the home. It is the men who are to take the lead and have authority in the home and also within the church. Now, this is not a sermon about the role of men and women in the church, but I hope you are at least able to see the connection here, and I hope that you are able to notice how Paul argues for male headship within the church. Again, he does not argue from culture, saying this is how we do things in our day, but instead he argues from creation when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet, as it pertains to teaching, I take it, for Adam was formed first than Eve. It's not time for us to say anything else about this passage. Uh, Much could be said about it, but for now, notice that Paul roots his teaching concerning the roles of men and women within the church, not in his culture, but in creation itself, when he says, for Adam 
was formed first, then Eve. In essence, he is saying this is how things should be because this is how God designed it to be. Adam was formed first. Adam was the one responsible to keep the covenant. Adam was appointed to be the federal head or representative for all. Adam was to lead Eve. He was to guard her and protect her. And Eve was to be a help to him. This was God's design at creation. Now, as I'm saying all of this, you're probably thinking to yourself, I know the story of the fall of man as recorded in Genesis chapter 3. Didn't the opposite of all of this happen? Didn't the serpent approach Eve first? Wasn't Adam absent? Didn't Eve, instead of being a help to Adam, actually serve as the agent by which the temptation came to him? Uh, Yes, and that is the point. God designed Adam to function as the head of Eve and for Eve to be his helper, but the opposite is what came to be. The man and woman decided to do things their own way. And instead, uh, this is what is at the heart of all of our sin, you see. This is what is at the heart of all of our sin. Instead of submitting to God's word, the first man and the woman decide for themselves how things should be. We sin when we disregard God's word and decide to go our own way. What does God's word say concerning the proper role of the husband in the marriage relationship? What does God's word say? God's word says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. The husband is to lead, therefore, just as Christ leads his people. The husband is responsible for the well-being of his wife, just as Christ took responsibility for the well-being of his people. The husband is to do everything in his power to care for his wife, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The husband has authority over his wife and family, just as Christ has authority over his church. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. I do sympathize with those in the world who actually shudder and cringe upon hearing these words. Words like, the husband has authority over his wife and family just as Christ has authority over his church. I sympathize with them because I do understand how easy and in fact how common it is for this principle of male headship to be misunderstood, to be misused and even abused within the marriage and family Is it true that the husband is head of the wife and that the husband has authority within the home? We are saying, yes, it is true. We confess that it is true. But what do sinful men often do with their God-given authority? What do they do with it? It is not uncommon for men to either neglect it or to abuse it. Many are negligent. They are irresponsible, even absent, not at all engaging the family, not leading, not providing, not protecting. This is Common. It is common for men to be negligent in regard to their God-given authority within the home. But some are also domineering. Some are oppressive and even abusive. This is what sinful men do with their power. If they are not renewed in Christ Jesus, it is very common. Uh, this is what many have experienced, I am afraid. And so it is no wonder that they have a more difficult time warmly receiving the words of Scripture For the husband is the head of the wife. For what have they experienced except an abuse or a neglect of this God-given authority? What we are proposing is that in Christ Jesus, it is possible for a husband to lovingly lead. Authority and self-sacrificing love are not contrary to one another. In fact, they should fit together hand in glove. Anytime a person is given authority, be it as a husband, as a parent, as a boss, or as an officer within Christ's church, 
that authority should be characterized by self-sacrificing love. That authority should be wielded with a servant's heart. I want you to remember what Jesus said to his disciples when talking about the issue of wielding authority. Jesus called his disciples to himself one day and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, those who have authority amongst the non-believing world, what do they do with that authority? They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. The the words here are meant to be understood as as a kind of domineering and oppressive uh, use of authority. But what does he say to his disciples? He says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. This is how the Christian is to wield authority. Whatever authority it happens to be, the Christian is to lead as a servant. The Christian is to govern by laying their lives down for the good of those they govern. Uh, Though it might be true that the Christian has first place in some realm, be it in the home, in the workplace, in government, in the church, He or she is to make the well-being of those who are under their authority their their highest priority and they are to serve. This is in fact what Christ did for us. The Son of Man who has authority over all came not to be served but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. When the scriptures say that the husband is head of the wife, uh, this is the thing that is envisioned. A husband who lovingly leads his wife and family with the heart of a servant, being ever mindful of the fact that his authority is not ultimate, but that he himself lives under the authority of God. I want you to notice that in Ephesians 5, in this passage, husbands are called the head of the wife. That is what they are referred to as. They are called the head of the wife in verse 23. But notice that in verse 25, they are commanded to do something. And what are they commanded to do? What is the command in this text? They are commanded to love. Husbands are not commanded to be the head of the wife, for this they are by virtue of the marriage covenant itself. But they are commanded to love. In other words, if you are a husband, then you are the head of your wife and family. God views you as the one responsible for them. It is not something that you have a say in. In other words, a husband simply is the head of the wife, even if he does not realize it or act like it. But in verses 25, a command is actually delivered. So here is something that husbands must choose to do. A husband must choose to love his wife. Again, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Listen, listen closely, brothers and sisters. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands are to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. The question that husbands should ask themselves after hearing that statement is this, 
How did Christ love the church? If I am to love my wife in the same way that Christ loved the church, then I must know something of the way that Christ loved the church if I hope to imitate him in the marriage relationship. I actually have seven observations about Christ's love for the church and its implications for the Christian husband. I'm going to move through these seven observations rather quickly. And I should also say that if you were to pick up a copy of Jim Neuheiser's book, which I have recommended to you, uh, called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And if you were to open up to chapter 12 of that book, you would notice that these seven points that I am about to quickly make are the seven headings found in that chapter. I thought they were excellent observations, and so I've taken them as my own. First of all, husbands should love their wives unconditionally. Husbands should love their wives unconditionally. It should be remembered that when we are talking about love, we are speaking not of an emotion primarily, but action. To love is to do good to another. Love does often involve feelings of affection, doesn't it? But affection is the fruit of love, not the root. This has all been said before. Husbands are to love their wives unconditionally. And and what is unconditional love? It is love that is given without condition. It is love extended to another without requiring the one being loved to earn it or to merit it in any way. And I'd like you to ask yourself this question at a later time. You don't have the ability, as I'm talking, to think about this thoroughly enough. But at a later time, ask this question of yourself. Is my love for my wife unconditional or is it conditional? All of you can ask this question in regard to other relationships. Is my love, the love that I choose to give, is it conditional or unconditional love. In other words, husbands, do you love your wife only when she seems lovely to you? Or do you love her irregardless of her loveliness? I would suggest to you that our love for others is often conditional love. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, we say. Or I'll love you so long as you love me, or I'll love you provided that you are lovely. But this is not how Christ loved us, thankfully. Christ's love for the church was and is unconditional. We did not earn Christ's love at the beginning, for we could not. Nor must we earn it now that we are in Christ Jesus, for we still cannot. Christ's love for His church, that is, for all who are elect in Christ Jesus, is not conditioned upon anything within the creature, but is freely given. Aren't you thankful for the fact that God's love for us in Christ is unconditional love? Uh, Those who understand the severity of their sin will admit that they could never earn God's love. Thankfully, Christ has loved us unconditionally. For while we were still sinners, the scriptures say, while we were still sinners at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He did not wait for you to become lovely before He was willing to die for you, but instead He died for you in order to make you lovely. This is the order of things. This is unconditional love displayed for us by Christ Jesus. For one will scarcely dare to die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This is how we do things, right? The Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 5. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love that God has for us in Christ Jesus is unconditional love. It it is not based upon some merit within the creature. How could it be? Because there is nothing in us worthy of, of God's love now that we are fallen into sin. God took the initiative. He decided to love us 
by sending His only begotten Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. A conditional love uh, will actually probably work just fine during the engagement or the honeymoon, but it will not make for a healthy and happy marriage in the long run. Truth be told, we are not always lovely. Wouldn't you agree with that statement, brothers and sisters? We are not always lovely. And if our love is conditioned upon the loveliness of our spouse, then we will find it difficult to love for the long haul. And I want you to remember the marriage vows that you spoke at the beginning. Did you not promise before God and man to love your spouse in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, as long as you both shall live? And so truth be told, your spouse will change over time. Some of those changes will be lovely changes, I'm sure, but some changes might be less than lovely. Our physical appearances change over time. I'm, I'm not nearly as handsome as I was uh, on my wedding day. I'll tell you that much, right? Uh, I wasn't much to look at even then, I guess. So, um, Our physical appearances change over time. Our personalities change. Our physical health might deteriorate, even severely. So too our mental health might deteriorate. Life definitely has its ups and downs, doesn't it? Life is not always lovely, and if our love is conditional, it will not endure in the face of difficulty. But if it is unconditional, if our love is unconditional, our love for our spouse will thrive in good times and in bad. This is the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus, and brothers, this is the kind of love that a husband is to have for his wife. A love freely given, love that is unconditional, love that must not be earned, love that is freely given. Secondly, husbands should love their wives sacrificially. What does the text say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. This is what the text says. If a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, then he must lay his life down for her. Brothers, I have said this before, but it needs to be said again. This is not about taking a bullet for your wife. This has, to more, has more to do with cleaning up after breakfast for her. This is not about pushing her off the tracks as the speeding train approaches. This is actually about choosing to speak to her kindly, even if she has been rude to you. Now, this is what it looks like for a husband to give himself up for his wife. He is to die to himself daily. He is to clothe himself with the garb of a servant. He is to live for her good. Frankly, brothers, in some ways it would be easier to lay down your life in a moment of heroism than to lay it down in humble, servant-hearted, self-sacrificing devotion on a daily basis. I truly believe that. Heroic acts, though very good in and of themselves, they actually agree with our pride, don't they? Because there you are doing something heroic after all. But in order to daily lay down your life in humble, servant-hearted, self-sacrificing devotion, you must put sinful pride to death. And that is the thing that is hard for men to do. Christ did it, remember? He humbled Himself to the point of death. And so should we if we are in Christ Jesus. Husbands, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So did Christ die a heroic death for his people? Certainly he did. 
Uh, that was the end of the road for him there. In regard to his humiliation, he died a heroic death. He took the place of those given to him by the Father from all eternity. But his humiliation consisted of more than that. In fact, it started when he was born in that lowly manger. And it continued as he humbly served lowly and sinful people. It's pictured and portrayed most beautifully in that moment when he uh, stood up with his disciples there as they celebrated uh, that last Passover feast. And what did he do? He clothed himself with the garb of a servant and he washed their feet. Uh, This is the kind of self-sacrificing love that husbands should display to their wives on a daily basis. Husbands should love their wives sacrificially. Thirdly, husbands should love their wives with a purifying love. Husbands should love their wives with a purifying love. Uh, Brothers, your wife's faith and her growth in Christ is your responsibility. It is your business. Now, I am not denying that it is ultimately God who must give your wife the gift of faith and grow her up in it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, that is true. Nor am I denying that your wife has responsibility in the matter. She must choose to believe upon Christ and follow hard after Him. But what I am saying is that you are also responsible. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Notice that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that He might present to the, church, the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands should love their wives with a purifying love. Notice in this text we see that Christ loved the church with a purifying love. He did not love us because we were lovely. Instead, He loved us to make us lovely. And husbands are to love their wives in this way. Husbands are to love their wives, seeking always their sanctification in Christ Jesus. And so I ask, husbands, are you praying for and with your wives? that they would have faith in Christ, and if they have it already, that they would grow in in Christ Jesus. Are you praying for your wives? Are you praying with them? Are you ministering the Word of God to them? Are you reading Scripture in the home to your wife and to your children? Are you encouraging them to regularly partake of the ordinary means of grace, or are you a hindrance to these things? What are the ordinary means of grace? Well, it involves coming on the Lord's Day to worship with the people of God, hearing the Word of God preached, praying together with the saints, partaking of the Lord's Supper? Are you encouraging her involvement with these things? Are you helping her along with everyone else in your household to prepare to partake of the ordinary means of grace on the Lord's Day? Or are you a hindrance to these things? Are you a distraction to them? We should love our wives, men, with a sanctifying, purifying love. Are you promoting her love for God above all things? Are you encouraging her to love God above everything else in this world, even even more than she loves you? Are you promoting that within her heart? Husbands should love their wives with a purifying love. Fourthly, husbands should love their wives as themselves. Remember that Christ summarized the whole law of God with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated. And what I am saying is that, husbands, your wife is your closest neighbor. You are to love her as you love yourself. And in fact, Paul goes a bit further than this, and he makes a wonderful observation here in this Ephesians 5 text. And he says that when a husband loves his wife, he truly does bless himself, given the one flesh union that exists between a man and his wife. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, Paul says. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What is the point that Paul is making here in this text? He is saying, husbands, do you want to be blessed in life? Do you want to be truly blessed? Do you want to do something really, really good for yourself? Then love your wife. Love her truly and from the heart. Lay your life down for her. Serve her. Serve her. Pour yourself into her. Cherish her. Build her up. Encourage her. Labor to, provi- labor to provide for her every need, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. Trust me, brother. You could almost hear Paul saying it behind these words that he has written. Trust me, brother. This will come back to you tenfold. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because we are in one flesh union with one another as husband and wife. So to have a wife that is thriving, to have a wife that is well provided for in every way, to have a wife who is happy and encouraged in Christ Jesus, what a blessing that is going to be to the husband, for you are in one flesh union with each other. Fifthly, husbands should love their wives with an affectionate love. Husbands should love their wives with an affectionate love. I have insisted throughout this sermon series, that love is not an emotion. And I think it is important that this be stressed, given that in our culture, love is often mistaken for emotion. Uh, Love, in fact, is an action. It is a way of life. It is a choice that we make. Uh, This is why the scriptures command us to love. Love is something we can choose to do. It is even something we can choose to do to our enemies. It is not an emotional state that we fall into and out of. But there are times when we must love out of duty. That This must be understood. There are times where we must simply love out of duty, even when feelings are lacking. When a person loves an enemy, he or she is loving out of duty. Sometimes, I know that it is true, a spouse might even seem to be an enemy. But brothers, our wives need more than to be dutifully loved. You do understand that, don't you? Husbands should love their wives with an affectionate love. Uh, The marriage covenant, we have defined it already as a covenant of companionship. And When the marriage is healthy and a husband and wife are loving one another as they should, they should look to one another as friends. A romance should be present within the marriage. A husband should strive to be emotionally connected with his wife. He should rejoice over her. He should love her with an affectionate love. Affection can be cultivated, friends. Even if it is lacking, affection can be cultivated. When a husband chooses to give thanks to God for his wife, his affections will grow for her. When a husband prays for his wife, his affection for her will grow. When a husband chooses to show love to his wife, his affection for her will grow. When a husband treats his wife with kindness and respect, his affection for her will grow. When a husband praises his wife with his words and expresses his love and appreciation for her, his affection for her will grow. Love is not the same as affection, but our love should be affectionate. Be tender to your wives, men. Invest into her emotionally. That is the point that I am here making. Sixthly, husbands should love their wives with an understanding love. Husbands should love their wives with an understanding love. 
You've probably noticed this, that men will often joke that they cannot understand their wives. It's something funny that we say, I guess. How can men possibly understand women? It is impossible, right? Isn't it? It's impossible, we say. But truth be told, jokes aside, if a man cannot understand his wife, it is probably because he has not tried very hard. That is really the truth of the matter. It is important that we love our wives with an understanding love. Uh, Certainly we know that it is not impossible for a husband is commanded by God to understand his wife. This is what God expects of husbands. It's stated clearly in the pages of Holy Scripture. And so I ask you, if it, it truly is impossible to understand your wife, then why does God command it? 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So are you telling me that God's word is here commanding us to do that which is impossible? Is God really threatening us with hindered prayers if we fail to do that which is exceedingly difficult even? Uh, No, I think it is more reasonable to understand that this command to live with your wives in an understanding way is something that is very doable. Every Christian man is capable of it. In fact, you are... If you are not doing it, it is because you are choosing not to do it, which is why your prayers will be hindered according to the Lord. Husbands must seek to understand uh, their wives. And so, brother, do you know your wife? That is the question I must ask you. Do you understand her strengths and weaknesses? Do you know what brings her joy? Do you know what causes her to fear? Do you know what makes her feel secure? Can you discern when she is struggling spiritually or emotionally Do you know what makes her feel loved? Do you live with her in an understanding way? Notice again that Peter refers to wives as a weaker vessel in this text that we have just read. I have pointed out in the past that the wife is the weaker vessel in part because of the position that she has been asked to take within the marriage, namely one of submission to her husband. That puts her in a very vulnerable place as she submits to her husband. But the other reality is that women are called weaker vessels because they tend to be more delicate and fragile when compared to men. They are more delicate physically, and they tend to be more delicate emotionally. And what the scriptures are here saying is that men should never take advantage of this, but instead they should live with their wives in an understanding way. They should show honor to them, and they should handle them as they would a precious and delicate thing a precious and delicate vessel. Seventhly and lastly, husbands should love their wives with an affirming love, with an affirming love. I want to simply read a quotation from Neuheiser's book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, to make this final point, because I thought these words were particularly beautiful here in regard to a husband needing to affirm his wife. He says this, Many husbands are very critical They manage their homes by exception, ignoring what is done right, while carefully pointing out ways their wives fall short of their expectations. Constant criticism is like a cancer that eats away at a marriage. In contrast, the husband in Proverbs 31 praises his wife, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Verse 39, Your wife is not perfect, brother, but neither are you. Make every effort to affirm to her the good that God is doing for you and others through her. He then quotes Ray Ortland, who writes, 
Deep in the heart of every wife is the self-doubt that wonders, do I please him? Am I what he dream what he dreams of and longed for, dreamed of and longed for? Will he love me to the end? Am I safe with this man I married? Will he cast me off? Even if we go the distance, will he get tired of me? And a wise husband will understand that uncertainty. That question is way down deep in his wife's heart. And he will spend his life speaking into it gently and tenderly, communicating it to her in many ways. Darling, you are the one I want. I cherish you. I rejoice over you as no other. I love the thought of growing old together with you, hand in hand, all the way. I will hold you close to my heart until my dying day. This is what I mean when I say that husbands should love their wives with an affirming love. We must affirm our wives, brothers. In short, brothers, I think it is time that we man up and love our wives as Christ loved the church. It's something that we must choose to do. I think we fall short in this partly because we just have not decided to do it. Any fool can be an irresponsible husband. Any fool can be self-centered, domineering, manipulative, authoritarian. But a Christian husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is something that you and I, brothers, just simply must decide to do. And the excuse, well, this kind of love was not modeled for, for me, will not do, will it? Some would probably object in this way, saying, I was raised in a home where this kind of love was not present. I don't know how to do it. But this excuse will not do. This kind of love was not modeled for me. Well, certainly it was. It was modeled to us by our Heavenly Father. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3.16 says. And we have been told here, Husbands, love your wives just as your father did? No. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. There is your model, brothers. This is the thing that we are to imitate, Christ's love for His bride, the church. And so, brother, tell me, do you know the love of Christ? Do you know Him? Have you placed your faith in Him? Have you come to understand the depths of His love? Do you know the love of Christ? Are you growing in your knowledge of the love of Christ? We must begin there. And are you now abiding in the love of Christ? Are you living in ongoing reliance upon His sustaining power? Brothers, I know how difficult this can be to obey this command, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I myself have fallen short in this regard time and time again. It is difficult. But God is sanctifying us, isn't He? He is teaching us more and more what it means to love Him and to love those around us through the marriage relationship. And so I ask, are you abiding in the love of Christ? Are you living in ongoing reliance upon His sustaining power? Or are you going it alone? Brothers, we do not stand a chance if we go it alone. We must abide in Christ. If it is true that you know the love of Christ and that you are abiding in His love, then let us love one another as He has loved us to the praise of of His glorious grace. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank You for marriage. We thank You for what it is a picture of, Your love for Your people, Christ's union with the church. Father, we do pray for our marriages within the church, that they would be healthy, that they would give glory to You. Help us, Lord. I pray in particular for the men in this congregation, those who are husbands now, those who hope to be husbands in the future, that you would strengthen them 
so that they would indeed have success in this realm, that they would show love to their wives as you, Christ, have loved us, the church. Help us to die to ourselves daily. Help us to put to death the sin that remains within us. Help us truly to be humble and servant-hearted as you, Christ, were for us. God, we trust that our wives will be blessed through this. So too will our children, our church will be blessed, and also the society in which we live. God, give us aid. May you receive all glory, honor, and praise. It's in the name of Christ that we say these things, and all of God's people say, Amen.